This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. If you have your, your Bibles with you, I invite you now to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, and as you're flipping there, I just want to give a little bit of historical context, what's leading up to this passage of scripture that we're going to look at. Uh, so we have David, David and Goliath. Um, David was God's chosen king. He was the one to, that was going to rule over Israel. But before David was king, there was another king named Saul. And Saul, uh, corrupted by sin and selfishness and envy of David, actually tried to kill David. And David ran away and fled from him for many years. Saul had a son. Saul's son's name was Jonathan. Jonathan and David were best buds, close like brothers. Jonathan knew that David was God's choice to be king. And so he asked David to make him a promise. Hey, if I die, when you become king, would you show mercy to any family members that I have left? Because, see, it was typical in that time in those cultures that if you became king, you would banish or imprison or kill off the previous king's line, so that you would prevent any uprising, competition, anything like that. And so David makes this promise with Jonathan, I will show mercy to you. And so now what's happened, David has finally uh, begun to rule in Jerusalem. Saul and Jonathan both have died. And God has made a covenant promise with David to bless him and to have a son on the throne always. And God has been granting Israel victory wherever David leads and whatever they do. And this is the scene where we find ourselves in 2 Samuel 9. So let's read it together. Verse 1, it says, David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. They called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, that is a name, Mephibosheth, The son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage to him. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. 
And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is a great story. A great story of King David showing kindness to Mephibosheth. Now, are we, are we okay if we just call him Fib from now on? Because this is going to be a lot of saying his name. and it's just, We'll just call him Fib. Um, David had actually never met Fib. Uh, D- Fib was five years old when Jonathan died. And then he had been living miles away and fled, hoping that no one would confront him. And now he's 21. So imagine living 16 years, never knowing if the new king is going to find you or not, and if he does find you, how he's going to treat you. Because again, he would expect, oh, I should be banished, imprisoned, or killed, because I'm of the line of Saul. And instead of killing Fib, David shows the kindness of God to him. You might say, well, what is the kindness of God? Simple definition Warren Wearsby offers us. He says, it is the mercy and favor of the Lord to undeserving people. It is grace. We've sung, sung about grace. David, as the king, shows grace when he had the right to show judgment. And the story of David and Mephibosheth is a wonderful one, and we might be drawn into it to try to find you know, the moral of the story or the lesson for us. What do I take home with? And this idea like, oh, I should be like David. I should show kindness to any Mephibosheths that I may encounter. And that's a nice lesson. We should show kindness and grace to people that we know and will meet. But that's not what I want to focus on here. What I want to focus on is to see the close parallel that this account has with our lives. Not as we would try to be David, but how in reality we are Mephibosheth. And just like Mephibosheth received kindness and favor from King David... Each one of us receives abundance, abundant kindness and favor from Jesus, the King of Grace. Second Samuel 9 is not only a true account of real people, it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does and how he acts. And so we're going to look at three ways this morning uh, that show how Jesus shows this grace, this favor to us. And the first one is that the King of Grace searches for the lost. The king of grace searches for the lost. Back to verse 3 of 2 Samuel 9. David, he says, is there, is there anybody left? Right? Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to? David remembers his promise to Jonathan. David takes the initiative to show kindness, to seek out somebody that's left. And in the same way, It is always God who takes the initiative with us to seek us out. We simply respond and receive grace. Jesus even said why he came. Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To to go, to find, to rescue the lost ones. That's, That's you and me. And every person on the planet. And Jesus is still doing this today. Drawing people in. And I love verse 5. This is where it gets a little bit different, okay? Verse 5. David sent somebody. David sent. Go, go, go get him. Go get him. He sent somebody to search the land. David himself didn't leave his palace to go and say, well, where is this guy? Let, let's go. Knock, knock, knock. Where are you? He didn't do that. 
You see, this is how Jesus is greater than David. He's the better David. Jesus left the throne of heaven and he came down to earth to meet us where we were at, to seek us, to find us, and to save us. Born of the Virgin Mary, he grew up and he walked among us. He talked, he taught, he healed, and he forgave. He interacted. He did it. And then, and then he suffered, was crucified, and died for us. And was raised to life and then back to the throne in heaven. Because he did that to rescue the lost ones. Us. Us. The Bible says that all of us are lost. That we've all gone astray like sheep. We've all turned our own way. We're not naturally the ones seeking after God. He is the one seeking after us. I just want us to maybe pause and think about that for a moment this morning. Jesus Christ. The king of the universe. Not just the king of grace. The king of the universe. He came for you. He came for you. He went looking for you. He could have stayed up in heaven and left us in our lost state. But he came for you. And he didn't wait you're like, well, now I'll come because they're good enough now. He didn't wait for us to become good enough. Romans 5.8 God shows His love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be good enough because He knew we could never be good enough. We could never deserve the grace that He was going to show us. We don't deserve any of the kindness that God gives us. We are lost sinners. It's all a gift. From the king. And as I've been studying this and thinking about this, I, I, was, I was kind of reminded again. One of the craziest parts of the gospel that I need to be reminded of daily is simply this profound truth Jesus willingly left heaven to seek and save the lost, He willingly came to rescue you and me. He chose to do it. Just think about that today. Jesus chose he willingly laid down his life Jesus Christ the king of grace he searches for the lost and when he finds them then he removes their fear and shame which is the second thing this morning the king of grace removes fear and shame look at verse 6 you have Fib he comes before the king the son of Jonathan came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. Uh, he's scared. What we have in verse 6 is actually a picture of fear and, and shame. Fear because Mephibosheth doesn't know what David is going to do. He, all he knows is, come see the king. Okay, I've been found out. I'm scared. And we also see uh, a picture of shame because it says that he's this crippled man, lame in both feet. Now, we don't know this for sure, exactly what he was thinking, but I can imagine that maybe he was thinking, even if David is merciful to me, what can I offer him? I can't even walk. I'm, I'm weak, I'm an embarrassment, I'm ashamed of, of who I am. And he's afraid. Afraid to stand before the king. And you know, when I think about the thought of standing 
before the king, before God, before the creator of the universe. I think it's kind of terrifying. Just to stop and think for a second. One day, each one of us are going to have a one-on-one encounter before the throne of God. You and God. Not you and your buddy, not you and your mom, not you, not just you and God. That's kind of scary. And I think about myself, and I go, okay, um, he's the perfect creator, holy, righteous, and I've rebelled against him. I have sinned many times. I deserve judgment. I deserve punishment. I deserve wrath. So I'm kind of terrified right now. So I could relate to Mephibosheth here. But look at verse 7. Look at what David says. David says to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. Do not fear. Fib, it's okay. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Kindness and grace and mercy and favor are coming your way. It's interesting to me that Mephibosheth receives favor because of the merit of another. Because of Jonathan. For Jonathan's sake, you are receiving kindness and grace. And in the same way, we receive favor because of Jesus. What Jesus has done for us. Not because we're so great, but because Jesus is so great. That He is perfect. That He lived perfectly for us. That He died sacrificially for us. And He offers us the very righteousness of God in our account. We receive grace because of the merit of another, just like Mephibosheth. And then because of this, our fear can be removed. Look at uh, Romans 8 verse 1. Just listen to it. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ. No condemnation for those that are in Christ. And listen to, listen to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 16 to 18. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. That one-on-one encounter. We may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in the world. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. He's saying, if you have trusted in Jesus... There's no condemnation remaining for you. You don't have to be terrified about that one-on-one encounter you're going to have with God because that fear has to do with the punishment or future penalty or future wrath coming towards you. But Jesus took care of that. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. If you believe in Jesus, punishment is not what's in your future. Joy and glory and blessing and bliss and eternity with God is what your future is. There's an assurance of eternal hope. And so the king removes fear. He removes fear from us. And this should blow us away. It should blow me away more than it does. I don't have to be afraid of standing before God because of Jesus. Perfect love casts out fear. And then you might be drawn to respond like Mephibosheth does in verse 8. 
He paid homage, which is like to bend down low and, and bow down. He said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Just like Fib, we acknowledge our unworthiness before the king. Who am I? Who am I that the creator of the universe would even care about me, let alone die for me and, and, and pay my price for my rebellion? Like, and show me this kindness and ridiculous grace. We're, we're dead dogs. We're, we're pathetic rebels. We deserve wrath. That same idea. Well, who am I that you would do this? But the reality is, the scripture says, Jesus has done it. He has died for us. He has paid for us. And we are forgiven by grace through faith in his work. And we're made new. And we become a deeply loved child of God. And I believe that Mephibosheth's fear would have dissipated. But I wonder, as he receives this kindness, don't worry, Fib, it's okay. Kindness is coming away. I wonder what he'd have done as he looked down again at his crippled feet. Maybe he'd be still reminded of his shame. Okay, I've received this grace, but what what can I do for this king? I can't even walk. How can I serve him or repay him in any way? I'm I'm an embarrassment. I'm weak or whatever. And maybe you've had similar thoughts. Maybe you have some sort of limitation. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's not. And And you think God is only interested in using more capable people. Uh, more successful people or more qualified people or people that are only like this or people that are older than you or people that are younger than you or whatever it is. I, don't want, I just want to stop and tell you that I've had those thoughts myself. I actually have those thoughts on a regular basis. Oh, God should use somebody else. So what, what do I really have to offer? Not many of you, maybe some of you might know this. I've had a little bit of a history with concussions. As a result of those... Um, I have memory and retention issues. So there are literally times I will be reading the Bible, either in my own study, personal devotions, or preparations for sermons or, or classes or things like this, and I will read something, study something, and five minutes after reading it, depending on how the day is going, it's gone. And I go, oh, that's very frustrating. I'm supposed to lead and teach people, and I can't remember what I've read. And there's those moments where I feel ashamed, I feel weak, I feel unqualified, I feel like I don't have much to offer the King of Grace. And so if you've had those types of thoughts, I want to suggest just a few things to you. First thing, just come before the King in absolute humility. Just recognize who you are and just come and say, you know what, I may have some inadequacies, I may have some limitations, but I just I thank you for showing kindness to me. And here, here I am. I know who I am. Just here. Use me however you want. Second thing is you need to hear and believe that God has designed you and God doesn't make mistakes. Okay? And God can and will use anyone that comes to him in faith and surrender, that offers themselves to him and and trusts in the grace that he gives. Just read through the Bible and see the types of people that he uses. People that are full of shame, full of weakness, full of limitations. 
God gets glory through using them. Third thing is understand that the king removes that shame. God knows you. He knows everything about you. Okay? Um, everything that you might be ashamed of currently, in the past, or in the future. All the actions you've ever done or ever will do. All the thoughts you've ever had or currently having or are going to have later. He knows it all and Jesus still came. Okay? He knows what he's getting. He still gives grace. Don't let the shame define you. Bring it to Jesus. Hey, this is all that I am. This is who I am. He says, yeah, I know and I love you. I died for you. You know what's really cool about our friend Mephibosheth? You know what his name means in Hebrew? His name means removal of shame. That's what his name means in Hebrew. Removal of shame. And this is exactly what David did for him. Let me remove your fear and shame, Mephibosheth. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. And so we come to Jesus. And he will remove our shame. As he pours out his grace, as was read, the grace that he lavishes on us. Fib thought he was a dead dog. But David took away his fear and shame and he welcomed him into his family. And this is a third way that God shows us kindness and favor. The king of grace gives us a new identity. He gives us a new identity. Verse 11. The second half of it. Uh, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Fib here was no longer going to be known as the long-lost, crippled son of Jonathan. David said, don't live in Lodabar anymore. Come live in Jerusalem. Live in my city. Live at my palace. You are always welcome here. And come, eat with me, with my other sons. David essentially adopts Mephibosheth, which is exactly what God does to us in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He adopts us. And just to hammer it home one more time, Ephesians 1, 5-8. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight through faith in Jesus we receive a new identity we're no longer Cripples, we're no longer dead dogs, we're no longer primarily identified as sinners or as rebels or as weak failures. By grace, we now become saints, heirs, 
members of a, of a royal priesthood, children of God. God, the creator of the universe, becomes our father. Christ becomes our brother, the Holy Spirit, our assurance and our comforter with us always. And all of this is grace. You don't deserve any of it. A gift of God. It's overwhelming to think about, but we should think about it more often. I know I should think about it more often. You know, I really love verse 11 of this this story because it says, again, that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Um, He acts according to his identity. He didn't eat like a fearful and ashamed enemy of the king at, at, at the king's table, right? He ate like a son. I'm welcome to the table, so I sit at the table like one of the other king's sons. And I truly believe that this is how Jesus wants, his, wants those who love him and trust him to act. To know, yes, we know, deep down inside, we do not deserve the grace. But sometimes we just need to sit down and receive the kindness and say, thank you. I am your child because of what you've done. Wow. Thank you. Let me experience what that is like now with other people who are your children. See, we can beat ourselves up so often and remind ourselves, I don't deserve, I don't deserve, I don't deserve, I don't deserve. We know that we don't deserve, but sometimes just say, thank you. Thank you that I am your child. And if you are his child here today, thank him anew for the grace that he gives. Just today, whoa, God, wow. Thank you. But if you're here today, you're not his child. You've, you've never put your faith in Jesus and his work on the cross. You can today. There is grace. There is mercy available for you today. You can come to Jesus. You let him take away your fear and your shame. You can receive a new identity as a son or daughter of God today. There isn't a dead dog on the planet that can't be changed by the grace of God through the power of the gospel. We exist to what? Bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not too far gone. Nobody is too far gone. You're not hopeless. It's not too late. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is a possibility that you can still be saved. You haven't done too many bad things that Jesus hasn't paid for. There's grace for you today. Come to Jesus. Let Him remove your fear and shame. Let Him give you a new identity. You know, we sang a song earlier in the service. I really appreciated the lyrics. And what I'm going to do as we close, I'm just going to read some of them again this morning. And I invite you just to, even just close your eyes. Just to let these lyrics sink in. Just listen to the truths about the King of Grace. The song says, I am covered by your blood. I'm covered by your blood. The sacrifice of Jesus. It is enough. It says, I'm known by you and loved. I'm known by you. He knows everything about you, good and bad, and he still loves you with nothing left to prove or hide. By your grace, I am redeemed. 
And my identity is knowing that I am your child. I am grateful to be called your child. Oh, what a gift you gave. Oh, what a price you paid. More than I deserve. More than I deserve. Your constant faithfulness, your every promise is more than I deserve. More than I deserve. And it's true. The King of Grace gives us so much more than we deserve. It's all more than we deserve. Let's pray together. Father God, it is only by your grace that we can come before you and call you Father. It's more than we've deserved. As we have sung this morning, as we have looked at your word and seen the truth of your grace. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working and moving even right now in my heart, in all of our hearts, drawing us to think on these things and to marvel at what you have done for us, Jesus. We deserved wrath and punishment and condemnation, but we received grace and mercy and forgiveness and adoption into your family. We didn't earn any of it and we can't earn any of it. And so we say thank you. We may try to come up with so many other things to say or do, but the bottom line is we can just say thank you and worship you more. And Lord, I pray if there is anybody here this morning that has yet to trust you, yet to come before you, trust you for salvation and for forgiveness, I pray that you would work and that they would be drawn to do so. And Lord, for all of us, maybe we're here this morning and we're struggling and we feel like we have these limitations and we're, we're weak and we can't do much for the King. Lord, let the truth of your word wash over us. You can use anybody. It's not about us and what we can do for you. It's about you and what you have done for us. Remind us of the truth, Lord. Remind us of the truth every day. It's more than we deserve. It's more than we deserve. Amen.